0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network.
1: Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z with Matt Fonslow. And believe it or not, I am Matt Fonslow. Today, I have the pleasure of having a diagnostic tech for Reader's Auto and now uh, building towards Fisher- Automotive and training services, a uh, fellow casual fan of professional wrestling, Andrew Fisher. Welcome, sir, to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, man.
1: Yeah, glad to have you. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you are a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. All right, Andrew, we were kind of messaging a little bit uh, leading up to this uh, about really what spurned it, I think, was the WWE Hall of Fame and specifically the induction of The Undertaker. Uh, how did how did you get into professional wrestling? Because I think we're, this is kind of a part two. I did a um, for the record for Karm that he uh, relaunched not too long ago, just to kind of I don't know freshen it up a little bit or get it back out into the 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 cycle. But I did that for him for uh, like a couple of years ago now. Yeah, for the record, fifty number fifty. So yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Basically, a few minutes of me talking about uh, Ric Flair. So I'm kind of curious. So how did you get into uh, professional wrestling or become a fan of uh, professional wrestling?
0: Well, I'm a, I'm a 90s kid. Um, my my uh, godfather was actually a huge wrestling fan. Um, back in the mid-80s, his psychiatrist was the golden boy, Paul Christie. And back then, he used to have matches with Macho Man. Um, before my time, I don't remember any of that, but, uh, you know, he was, um, I think uncle Jim's about 12 years older than I am. Um, so he really got me going with it and, uh, I just kind of stuck with it. My kids, when they were younger, the boys, they, uh, they loved John Cena and were pretty, pretty big into wrestling so they could jump off the couches and stuff. So we stuck with it and I, I still stay up on it as much as I can now.
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, get home Sunday mornings from uh, Sunday school And we had locally, uh, locally, Minnesota, that territory was AWA. So that's what I remember was Nick Bockwinkle and um, Larry Zbysko, the Killer Bees, Rock and Roll, Bucks, Zumhoff. Actually, Hulk Hogan was on AWA, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't, that wasn't his name. I think it was like Terry Boulder or something like that. But he was just an immense individual. And the Road Warriors, I remember seeing them, and they would just, man, they just ran through everybody in AWA. And then after a while, WWE or then WWF was on uh, network TV. I think those were, that was like Saturday night, six o'clock, seven o'clock. I would watch. Saturday
0: main event, wasn't it? I believe it was the. Yeah. Something along those lines.
1: And that's where at a wow seven eight nine ten years old hulk hogan was it in retrospect i should have been a bigger fan of the likes of like a roddy pipers and the ted DiBiases, but i was i didn't know any better and i thought it was real uh an uncle of mine my mom's youngest brother worked with somebody that was getting into the awa as the awa was kind of closing down and uh, really suffering against the WWF. And he let on the discussions they would have at work about, I don't want to say fake because fake was one way to get beat up, <laughs> but it, that it was pre-planned that they kind of already knew who was going to win and that the wrestlers would work with somebody in the back called an agent and kind of come up with the main line of the, the match. Uh, the 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 spots which would be like the big stunts and talked about that but you know said that jumping off the top rope and hitting the canvas or the the ring hurt um you know you, you left the ring hurt almost every night but not injured. You tried not to injure anybody yeah that that tar- that started changing things for me because once I kind of knew it was pre-planned a little bit, Or a work, if you want to use their terminology. uh, I took on a much different uh, appreciation for what they do than it it was a performance. These two, or however many are in the ring, you got to include the referee. They're heavily involved. Oh, yeah. This performance was a a teamwork. And they were hurting each other, uh, sometimes injuring each other quite badly. uh, And hopefully not on purpose all for our entertainment and it just really took me in a much different appreciation much different direction of appreciation for what they do and then like the camaraderie in the back you know amongst people that you thought hated each other on screen were best friends in the locker room it's kind of mind-boggling that that's where my deep appreciation comes
0: I mean, think about it. They train their lives day in and day out for that. You know, they're training their bodies, their minds. I mean, they're actors at a different level. You know, that's it's definitely a craft. Yeah, and
1: and back in the you know eighties, nineties, early two thousands, there was no cut. Meaning, like actors, if somebody gets hurt on set, cut, uh, take a break, get medical attention, do whatever. Uh, these guys, and I, when I say guys, I don't mean just the men, women as well. They would get severely injured, but there was no cut. They kept going. Uh, the only time I remember a match really being stopped was um, Psycho Sid did some weird, I don't know what the heck he was doing, but he jumped off the either the top rope or the second from the top rope or the middle rope, honestly onto one leg to do some weird kick thing. And this is not in his wheelhouse. This is not something he does. But they kind of wanted him to show that he was pushing seven feet tall and very agile. So he does this weird kick, not pre practiced, not rehearsed, and he um compound fractures his leg. Just I mean it breaks. It's his legs flopped off to the side. That's the first time I remember ever seeing a match stopped. And uh, after that.
0: It's amazing. I mean, you watch these guys. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen you in person, but I mean, I'm, I'm six foot, 220 pounds. You're not going to get my big butt doing any of that kind of stuff. You talk a guys 6'4", 6'5", 280 plus, doing amazing feats. It's just the, the athleticism. I don't think it's talked about enough. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the size of these guys, but their raw athleticism is just through the roof.
1: Athleticism, bravery, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, not to you know force anything back, but uh, I know Triple H. He wrestled, finished a match with a re- torn quad. Yeah, he finishes the match, hobbles around, and that, I mean, man, all. All for uh, our entertainment. If he was in the in the football, he'd been know, out. laid in the middle of the field, and they'd have carted him off.
0: Well, Stone Cold broke his neck. Finished the match with a broken neck. You know? I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a a horrible, horrible botch by a really seasoned wrestler. Owen Hart should have known better. Yes, an inverted pile driver. It was. He said it was a tombstone. But tombstones usually drop to your knees. So if you're not familiar with wrestling, a regular pile driver would be, somebody would be bent over at the waist and you could stand over their heads so that, I mean, for lack of a better term, you could almost bend over as the person's standing and kiss their butt, but you lift them up, their head is still between your legs and then you drop to your butt. But if their head is really up, kind of towards your crotch to the thickest part of your legs and they tuck their chin, their head really doesn't hit the mat or if it does, it's pretty light. Um, And their head gives the tombstone pile driver. You turn it around. So now your face is just below their crotch, but they drop to their knees and your head is usually a long ways away from this, from the mat. It's by somebody that's taking care of their quote unquote opponent that's pretty safe. What Owen Hart did. And for the life of me, I don't know what he was thinking. He's got to know better. Like this guy's wrestling royalty. Honestly, he does sets him up like a tombstone, but then he drops to his butt. And the problem is, is now stone cold. Can't tuck his chin because his face is in Owen's crotch and he gets dropped straight on top of his head and it crushed discs in his neck. He went uh, paralyzed for, You know, it was probably a few seconds, but to him, it seemed like forever. Referee comes over after every big spot like that. And and that isn't like a big spot, but after something like that, you'll see the referees come over and they're checking on him. And Stone Cold's like, I'm paralyzed. I can't move my arms. So then you see the referee going over to Owen and says something. Well, then Owen starts walking around the ring talking trash to the crowd buying Stone Cold time. Referee goes back over to Stone Cold. Hey, what do you know? you Are going to be okay? He's about ready to throw up uh, a signal. Usually it's that X, you know, where they cross their arms and an X above their head. Now everybody kind of knows that sign. So now they do it just to mess with the crowd. (laughs) Um, But Stone Cold starts getting feeling. You can see him moving his arms again. And he's like, you know, we got to finish this match. And if you watch it in replay, it is the weakest roll up you've ever seen in your life. Uh, to pin Owen for the win and then get him back, uh, get him in the back for medical attention. But you're right, he finishes the freaking match. Like, that should have instant. any other venue, any other movie, sport, whatever, there's a timeout. There's somebody, medical staff rushing to their aid. Like, it's serious, serious business, especially spinal injuries. Like, Man, in the football, if they would do that, I'm pretty sure the EMTs would be out there and they'd be pumping them full of that cold IV, right? That's supposed to uh, save a lot of...
0: Well, well, think about it. I mean, I don't want to pick on the guy because I like what he does, you know, for the community. But LeBron James, I remember him getting a hamstring cramp. I mean, don't get me wrong. I probably would have to be carried off, too. But you're talking a seasoned athlete and he's getting carried off. And then in retrospect, you got Stone Cold with a broken neck and he finishes a wrestling match. It's just unbelievable. They're just built different. (laughs) There's there's really no comparison, in my opinion. You know, there's no comparison between those guys and their pure athleticism against any other sport figure, really. So I think the
1: title of this is What We Can Learn from Professional Wrestling Part 2. Like I mentioned earlier, we really started talking about this after Takers, The Undertaker, uh, Hall of Fame induction speech. Uh, The guy's been at it for about 30 some years, right? Yep. Maybe pushing 40, but it's 30 some years. He gets about a five minute standing ovation where the crowd will not allow him to speak. And it's, it's very emotional and very well deserved on his part. But he goes on to make a fairly lengthy speech uh, to go in. And one that, you know, again, I think he earned. And he brings up these almost like pieces pieces of advice, if you will. And I I just felt like they really resonate with me. Not just for our profession and being in the profession, but life in general. And I was wondering if, you know, without mentioning them just yet, the, the actual... Advice items he gave. Did you recognize that, or how did that affect you?
0: I did. You know, I, I for me, I gotta be honest. I was just awestruck by the whole moment. You know, it, for me, that capped off an amazing career. I gotta ask you: when you hear Undertaker, what's what's the one word that comes to your mind? See, I think I'm freaking um,
1: tainted with it because I I've watched so many documentaries on him now. Um, but I guess I, I would just say reliable as, as just a pure fan. I'm just going to go with reliable. Loyal. He he was always there. He always delivered. I mean, until maybe late, late in his career, did he have some really crap matches all the way up to those last. And I don't, his last match was pretty good with AJ Styles, but there's a couple there with Roman Reigns. And then he did one over in um, Uh, what do they call it? The Royal crown over in Saudi Arabia. um, It was him and Kane teamed up against triple H and Shawn Michaels. And nobody had a good match. I mean, all four of them stunk it up. It was bad. But other than that, man, that guy delivered
0: every time. Loyalty. Loyalty is always the one that comes to mind. I mean, you think about, you know, everybody was jumping ship in the early nineties. They were leaving, they were leaving McMahon and going over to, um, Bischoff, you know, uh, going over to Ted Turner there. Taker never did, you know, he was, he was extremely loyal to McMahon. He was extremely loyal to the company and to the character development that he built. You know, he was very loyal to all of that. Um, you, you don't see that in anything, in any type of sport. Heck, you don't even see that in your everyday job, you know? Um, that is the one thing. Anytime I hear his name, I just automatically, it's loyalty. I've, I've never seen anything like that because I'm sure, I'm sure the money was there from other venues. Um, you It had to have been. And he stuck it out. I mean, there's some pretty rough times too.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm probably more familiar with basketball than some of the other sports, but I'm trying to think a similar scenario where the, the guys were leaving. Like you said, this would have been the Monday night wars kind of the uh, birth of the uh, attitude era where the, so this is a little bit before stone cold, Steve Austin, a little bit before the rock becomes the rock. Before Triple H and Shawn Michaels do the DX thing, where WWE is in trouble. WCW is destroying them in the ratings and taking all their veteran talent. Hulk Hogan had left. well, Hulk Hogan was out before that. They took uh, Randy Machaman Savage. Uh, they took back in a very, very controversial move. Now I'll forget his name.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, the total package. Lex Luger. Yes, Lex Luger. Very controversial because WWE had lured Lex Luger over to them to kind of replace Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And they're trying to make that push of him being the all-American guy, he had the bus with the American flag on it. He's body slams Yokozuna on an aircraft carrier and like it was a big deal trying to push him to be this replacement for Hulk Hogan. And the problem was is nobody was going to replace hulk hogan at least to that type of a character and so then uh unbeknownst to wwe lex luger shows up uh in a monday night nitro at mall of america (laughs) in Uh,
0: minnesota (laughs) that's crazy about the same time they lost hall and nash too i mean that was that was controversial that was that was huge and they were getting a lot of money and they're getting guaranteed
1: money which was not something. So we're talking about these guys wrestling through severe injuries and continuing to perform when they probably shouldn't have been with concussions, with bad injuries that, you know, they should have got surgery for, but if they didn't, if they're not working, they're not performing, they're not getting paid. So, from a creation standpoint, it's really good, you know, to keep these guys going and coming up with uh ideas to keep high on the card to keep making the big money. WCW starts with the checkbook of Ted Turner and they're pulling away this talent with guaranteed money. And it's a lot. And I think like you would say, uh, specifically, uh, Kevin Nash would say that was, in a way, like he liked having that guaranteed money, but it was a huge dep- detriment to create creativity and stuff too. But that's, that's why they were fleeing And they're getting more money and it was guaranteed and yet Taker stuck it out. So if you don't know about The Undertaker, he didn't start out. The the guy who played The Undertaker, the the character, his real name's Mark Calloway, he didn't start out in WWE. He started out in WCW uh, or something like it. But I think it was as Bischoff was taking over, that's when he was over. But it would have been early on he had been there for like a year or two and he was going in to try to get a little bit of a pay bump not looking for a lot just you know he wants to work up the ladder and they looked at him and said nobody's ever going to pay money to see you wrestle so he quits on the spot and then you know he goes to multiple places but specifically he's trying to get in with vince he's got friends that are trying to help him out and you know it's not looking good he sits and waits quite a long time and then he gets this phone call and I guess famous if you're a follower that Vince McMahon calls him up back when they had corded phones so for some of you listening telephones used to be mounted somewhere sometimes a wall sometimes they sat on a counter and they're all corded they're corded to the wall and they're corded to the handset and you could only walk away as far as the cables would let you (laughs) no cell phones no probably no cordless phones and if you had one they were big bucks and they sucked anyways so Vince McMahon calls him up and says is this the undertaker and he's hesitates a while like I don't, what is who what oh wait yeah yeah this is yeah this is the undertaker uh, but yeah like you said he stuck it out he could have bailed he could have made way more money or made more money and it would have been guaranteed but the the loyalty which it's cool you brought it up because that was one of his. Uh, he called them mental moves, but this one of his bits of advice was uh, respect and loyalty go a long way. Like you're saying, he stuck it out, and I'm trying to think other sports. I don't. Maybe you can think of somebody, but you know, I think Kobe Bryant always got paid, and he
0: they had he had endorsement deals, so even though the Lakers maybe couldn't pay him. And he was going to leave. He he was going to sign with Chicago. If you ever watch any of Kobe's documentaries, he talks about him almost signing with Chicago in the early, na- early 2000s, rather. So even him, I mean, yeah, he, you know what? Tim Duncan. Yep,
1: Tim Duncan. Maybe a little bit David Robinson before him. But yeah, those two, man, they were there the whole time. And I don't, I guess Patrick Ewing, but I don't know if he is getting lured away or not. Elijah Wan ended up leaving Houston at the very, very end. Um, mainly, I think they didn't renew his contract, and he thought he could still play, so he ended up in Toronto. Yep. But uh, yeah, other than that, man, it gets rough. You, you start going back, rolling the clock
0: back. John Stockton might be the other one. If, you, if you're sticking with basketball, that might be the only other modern-ish superstar that I could think of that stuck it out. Yeah, yeah, maybe Aaron Rodgers with the
1: um Pack, the yeah. Green Bay Packers. That's a little tainted right you know, now. It's, def- it's <laughs> definitely tainted. But he's he's still there. <laughs> but he, you wonder like is Patrick Mahomes, is he going to stay with Kansas City till the end of his, of his career? Uh, it's kind of interesting.
0: You hope so, but money, I think I think in today's day and age, I mean, if you want to kind of relate it back to automotive you know, how many guys, you know, would leave over a dollar or two more an hour? You know, they're, gonna, they're just going to over a dollar or two. And now you're talking millions when you're talking sports stars. You know, um, the, the, there is still loyalty. Not like that. Very few and far between.
1: It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care has a solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was engineered by one of our own. Pete McNeil and Master Technician Jake Sorensen of McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action and look at a different audience of individuals available for hire. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training. Classroom training videos exclusive to the apprentice program. These videos provide an in-depth training from a successful master technician. AutoTech classes, instructor-led courses offered through Napa AutoTech, AutoTech e-learning, Web based e learnings designed to target specific training topics. Hands on learning. The apprentice will apply the skills gained from the classroom training videos, AutoTech instructor led training, and AutoTech e learnings in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The apprentice program curriculum is competency based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years. Upon a completion, apprentices will have earned ASE G1. A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Grow your bottom line. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your bottom line as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you will begin to see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. Keep your apprentice motivated with an apprentice toolkit. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. Napa AutoCare has worked with our supplying partners to offer an exclusive, comprehensive tool set, including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. So like when you're saying we're leaving over a dollar or two, do you think we've kind of been... um unwittingly trained to not be rewarded for that loyalty. You know what I mean? Yes. Like have we learned that sticking it out, sticking with some, sticking with a shop, sticking with an owner or a manager through thick and thin, will have a payoff at the end, but we've seen too many times where there's no
0: payoff and we should have jumped ship long ago. I, I could probably do a full podcast on that with you alone, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, cause I, I'm sure I'm like a lot of other guys. You know, I'm in my mid thirties now. My twenties, I spent bouncing around, and a lot of it was I didn't feel respected or there was any loyalty. I mean, how often do you hear if you want to pay raise in the automotive business, you've got to jump ship? Um, so loyalty goes both ways. You know, that's a that's a business owner and a technician thing. If you think in the sports world, they at least have agents as mediators. We have ourselves, and a lot of us are pretty opinionated and have loud mouths. So I mean, sometimes we insert our foot before we ever ever could have a mediator. But yeah, I, th- I think we're just self-groomed to that, you know. And it's it's kind of disheartening, you know. And that that falls on both sides. That's not just that's not just the ownership side. That's definitely on the tech side too, you know. Egos play a big role in that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it's kind of disheartening.
1: Yeah, the tech not. Not just text, but employees in general, right? Correct. not going in and opening their mouth especially like early on before like the resentments and all that kick in, and then on the flip side, you know ownership, paying attention to that stuff too, and you know hopefully there's a reason to reward somebody uh for loyalty, especially if they're good uh it's that might be happening more, but it's it's like you said like if you wanna pay raise sometimes. It feels like you have to take it upon yourself to either A, bring it up or B, threaten to leave or leave. And then there you go. You're kind of bouncing around. And I'm, I'm wondering if today's environment is making that less, less common that techs are seeing uh, increases in wages, compensation, you know, at some point. It's got to factor in work environment too. Like, you know, I'm in this well lit, well equipped shop. You know, maybe it's climate controlled. You know, it's like it'd be really hard to leave for a dollar an hour to go work in a dungeon that, you know, no AC when it's 104 degrees outside. You know, that stuff's got to play a factor too. As well as, you know, they work on everything and they've got a scan tool that's not updated. This place, we work on, you know, three, four car lines, but we got factory tooling for two of them and really good aftermarket coverage for everything else. You know,
0: I, I don't know, just making stuff up. It's not even the that. I mean, you think we constantly talk about wages, but what about benefits? You know, that that's a huge role. I was, I was just sick last week. You know, I missed three days work, worth of work. Everywhere else I ever would have worked, they would have been tagging into my vacation time right away to cover that. You know, um, thankfully that's that's not the way it's it plays out where I'm at now. But you know, a lot of that plays a big role. It's not just, I mean, when you're young, you know, kind of looking back when I was young trying to make a name for myself, I'd leave over a dollar to an hour. Um, today, it it takes substantially more than that for me to even uh, answer the phone call. Um, in a lot of kind of what you said you know I, I think a lot of shops are closing their doors right now because they realize they can't equip they can't hire they can't they can't adapt to the new ways of thinking even you know um i, I don't like being the pessimist I, l- I like being the optimist i think we're moving in a pretty decent direction right now as far as technicians with ownership goes uh, i i still think we need lots of improvement on the client side but as far as ownership goes I, I think we're starting to make some headway that you know ownership realizes and management and what have you realizes what they have you know and um I, I think we're finally starting to see some common ground there on both sides um at least around here in my area it's it's looking up a little bit i've seen quite a few shops close their doors but they were ones that probably should have closed up 20 30 years ago but loyalty You know, loyalty doesn't really exist anymore. I'm starting to see that more and more, really. I remember I hired into a place probably 10 years ago now, maybe a little more than that. And the guys, I was a young guy and everybody there had been there 20 plus years. And within five years, all those guys were gone. Why? You know, and I was, I was a short time after them. I mean, I could list a million reasons why today, like looking back hindsight, but, uh, it's it's kind of scary i'm i'm at a point in my life I'd, I'd like to be undertaker i'd like to put my roots down and and be loyal I, th- I think i'm finally at a place where i can do that um you know they they welcome me trying to grow my training company you know um but it it's very it's very few and far between but i i, I do think we're starting to see a transition that way at least in my my locality you know um Hopefully, hopefully we keep going and maybe start educating our clients a little bit better next.
1: I know, right? Yeah. One of his uh, other points was perception is reality. So in his, his um, example, uh, he um, really, we should go finish up the respect and loyalty part because there was a, there was something he said in that speech uh, about it that, I really liked was to just remember that all the toes you step on, on the way up are attached to the butts. You're going to have to kiss on the way down. That really did resonate with me that if, if you're going to jump ship or whatever you're going to do, there's a, there's the right way to handle it. And if you can respect your coworkers, respect your management or you know, as a manager, respect your, um, you know, your team, your teammates, your employees. If things start going sideways, for, for whatever reason, there's going to be a lot more people with their hands out grabbing you. If you're falling down the ladder of, you know, success, if you will, or whatnot, they're, they're going to reach out to help you rather than you having to kiss their butts to try to slow the descent and work your way back up. I feel like a lot of times things are mishandled on multiple people's parts where it is a little disrespectful or just outright disrespectful, you know, not, not being aware uh, of the effect on, on everybody that there's, there's better ways to handle things. And I I just felt like that, that spoke volumes to me Uh, for younger generation one, I think a pet peeve of people, probably in your generation, Andrew, and up, ghosting. No. I've never heard of ghosting before, other than like PC stuff where you would transfer files over. <laughs> that, that was what I thought ghosting was. Um, Now it's no call, no shows. And you, you quit without telling anyone you quit. Or you last minute quit just out of nowhere. That's like a, that's extremely disrespectful. And now if you're, and I think regardless if you stay in the profession or not, as word gets out that that's what you do, you've, you're just making things a lot more difficult for yourself it, when you need a job. It's like if you would ever find yourself in a situation where you need a job, people that would have been glad to help you out because of the way you conducted yourself,
0: uh, no, can't help you. Well, that, I think that goes with ego. Um, and I don't know if you were like me. I know I had an ego the size of this house when I was younger. Um, you know, a little bit of humility changed that. <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of what uh, Taker alluded to there, you know, the, the toes you step on or the, the the butts you're kissing on the way down. May, maybe that's what we need. You know, sometimes maybe maybe we need a little bit of that humility to To change that a little bit, I I know it worked well for me. Um, You know, I I spent a couple years teaching teaching at the high school level, and that was one of the things I would always preach to my kids. You know, professionalism. You know, you're going to get asked to do things that you may not agree with, not from an ethical standpoint, but you know, a lot of times when you're young, I'm not sweeping the floor. Listen. That job's not beneath anybody because I am a diagnostician in a very large shop, and you will catch me with a broom in my hand quite often. One, my OCD, um, but two, I want everybody to see that it's not beneath anybody. I, I think it just kind of goes hands in hand with what he said. You know, um, be careful on those toes you're stepping on. Um, lead by example, e- an ego. You know, get your ego in check. Um, some of us learn a lot later in life than others. Uh, I know I was. Pretty guilty of that. I don't personally think I understood to keep my ego in check until I had my daughters, um, and my daughters were born. Um, I was already in my 30s at that point, so my daughters kind of taught me that. Unfortunately, that was not one of the life lessons I learned having my son so young. Um, but get, get that ego in check, you know. I, I think there's definitely a lot, lot to be said about that that saying that he had there. Okay, and
1: then the next one of the three. Perception is reality. So in his example, remember, they're performers. They, they work together to put on, you know, they, they'll they say to tell a story. They tell it in the ring. And the performer he was working with was botching things and not selling, which is, you know, when they, when they hit each other, they might hit and there might be a little bit of sting on it, but not a lot. Again, it may hurt a little bit. Uh, but it's not injuring you. It's not going to leave marks, right? If you you watch a lot of these, or are hitting each other. They're not really leaving marks. And that would not be realistic. And, you know, a real fight if somebody hauls off and punches you, you're there's going to be some sort of a welt, you know, most likely. So, Taker took it under, you know, did something that I think is very old school back then. If somebody's not selling properly, you give them a reason to, They don't have to sell anymore (laughs) because when they get hit, they're really getting hit. And he beat the hell out of the guy. He really beat him up in in the ring. And when he got back through the curtain, Vince McMahon pulled him aside and said, Mark, perception is reality. Everybody perceives you as being an a-hole. And he had to walk back to the locker room and he's sitting there in the corner of the locker room thinking about it. Like, I acted like a real a-hole and I'm not really an a-hole, but that dang it. And I, I'm not saying that we have to take that and translate it directly into, if we're acting like a-holes, I mean, that goes without saying, honestly, but the the reality is in our world, especially like what you were saying with the broom refusal to, to pick up the broom, that ego. Well, now you, you're an entitled, you might be an entitled prick and and maybe you really are <laughs> but maybe you're not and you've somehow worked it out in your head that you were hired to be a technician and maybe they don't have the shop you're working for doesn't have this beautiful employee handbook that illustrates you know puts down bullet points of what's expected of you so you have this mentality that I no I'm here to fix cars I'm not here to sweep floors. I'm not here to organize tools. I'm not here to build shelves. I'm not here to paint, I'm not here to change light bulbs in the shop that somebody else does that. I fix cars and don't get me wrong. Like some shops, even if it's in there, if you're being paid straight flat, right? It would be very hard <laughs> to be changing light bulbs in the shop without getting paid. But even still to me, if that's the perception you're going to give people that, that that they're going to take with you that you, you need to consider that and maybe twist it more and like, okay, you're a team player. Now, that's a much better perception for people to have. And then I think it's really easy to roll the perception stuff into being disingenuous, like the shop to the client. And not, maybe not even just... the You know, my shop directly discussed, you know, interacting with the client that's at the front counter. It's the client that came over from from shop B that's upset. And now I am painting, I am changing things or maybe not even changing it, maybe reinforcing their perception of shop B. It's wrong, (laughs) but the perception is reality. And if I let that perception and I build on the, upon that percep- perception, I'm not doing anyone any good. That's, that's how I took it. I'm, I'm curious how you, when you hear that perception is reality, what, what do you think of?
0: You are the picture you paint of yourself. Um, whether it's you as an individual, you as a technician, you as a human being, um, you as a business, you know, if if we're going to talk about it, uh, you know, from from an auto shop standpoint, like you just said, you know, I personally make it a point I will not ever talk bad about another technician or another shop, because if I do it, they're going to do it about me at some point. Right. And I don't want anybody to ever be able to say, hey, I was having a conversation with Andy, he talked about so and so and you know, I'm over there selling the parts or whatever, and he's he's talking about him the same way. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be painted in the same picture as everybody else. You know, I, I'm a big believer in professionalism, um, just being a good human being. You know, you, you got to be careful the way you paint yourself because even if, if you know me as a person and I'm having a bad day, if if I all of a sudden become Debbie Downer, I, I just painted my my reality on somebody for that moment in time. And I, I just don't want to do that. We, we got to do a better job as people, as technicians. You know, um, I used to like using that line, teaching perceptions, reality, you know, um, aesthetics. I'm a big person on aesthetics. So, you know, if things look good, they got to be good. Right. I, I just think there's a, there's a lot that goes hand in hand with that. And we, we've got to be really careful Again, not just even from the automotive side, you know, uh, I, I, my oldest brother, I'm, I'm, one of, I'm one of six kids, I'm the second oldest, but uh, my oldest brother and I got a really good relationship. And actually on the way home today, him and I had a conversation. He, uh, he builds houses. He just bought into a um, company this year. Um, they put up quite a few homes. He used to work for a company and they'd put up 200, 250 homes. Long story short, he's having some, some issues with the, with the current owner, you know, the, the other partner. I don't want to call it ethical issues, but it's they wanted to cater to a certain type of clientele, and now Rob, my brother, wants to focus on clients. You know, rather kind of the same thing we all talk about as as auto professionals. He wants to have five clients, not ten customers. Um, but they're dealing they're dealing with some contract uh, contract issues because of um, material. They kind of have to back out of a few contracts that were written a a year or so ago, you know, and is it an ethical thing? Kind of, sort of, not really, you know, you just, you just paint the picture right there. You show them, you show them what the realities are and hope somebody, somebody sees that you're not trying to be a bad guy, you know, and uh, you know, you got to paint the picture the best way you can and, and make it reality. I, I think that's really what he's what he was trying to say there, you know, and what people look at and what people see, that's that's their reality. So if they see you tried doing something correct and standing behind and make it right, it might not be the outcome you want, but at least you tried making it right. People are gonna remember that. And, yes, and yes. I think that's I think at the end of the day, that's what Taker was trying to get across that people are gonna remember. They're gonna remember that, you know, so and so wasn't having a good match that night but I made it so or vice versa. You know, and I I think that's what at the very core is what he was trying to convey to us, the audience that night.
1: Yep. At least for this example is going above and beyond. Correct. Some people may not equate staying late to get a job done as going above and beyond where others is. That is the definition or standing behind something that really maybe you shouldn't have to stand behind hopefully people remember that or you know like in your case you got sick what if you were really sick you know what if it was covid sick for a few weeks and maybe the shop could get some funding from the state the county feds whatever to to help with that but maybe they can't but they took care of you anyways hopefully hopefully you remember that you know and Perpetuate the the loyalty down the road. You know, not to fast forward this, but this this the next one, the last, the final uh, bit of advice is by far my favorite. It's never ever be content. I'm sure that can be twisted in a negative way, but I find it to resonate. Never be content. Immediately, I jump to training. Yes. Absolutely. That's where my mind goes immediately training. I don't want to be static. I want to get better all the time. I want to learn something. I want to know how to do something better. Think about something in a different way.
0: I went the same way, to be honest with you. You know, um, it, it's too easy to become complacent, you know, and I don't know if, if you're in the same situation, but for me, it, it I've constantly got to be moving forward. You know, I've got four kids, you know, I want them to see that dad never got complacent. He never got comfortable. He always pushed, pushed, pushed. It's not just my career either um, with anything in life, you know? And, and that was, I'll I'll be honest, when he said that, that that was a goosebump moment for me. That was, that was pretty awesome to hear him say that. But yeah, I mean, if if you're going to relate it back to the automotive world, uh, training was the very first thing that came to mind. You know, I I didn't want to be, and I still don't want to be the old guy in the shop that can only change brakes. You know, I want to push it as far as my abilities mentally <laughs> can go, and just keep pushing, keep pushing. You know, um, at the end of the day, that's I guess that might be a little bit of the ego still there. You know, um, you want to you want to do as best as you can, but I'm also at a point in my life where the little bit of skill I feel I may have, and that's very, very minute to some of you guys. um, I want to be able to give that to others, you know? So, so it's, it's trying to help other people out now, you know, that's the reason I'm trying to start the training company. I miss teaching. Yeah. So I need you to kind of hold, I need you to hold that thought
1: because what I want to bring up to kind of finish off this episode, right into that. I mean, you're, You're beating me to the punch on, on all of this stuff, which I should be used to by now, but
0: (laughs) I got a lot of built up, built up soapbox in me, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, never be content, uh, to, to learn, uh, as a manager, or I would hope as a shop owner, the shop's never good enough that something could always be better. The work environment in the back, the customer waiting area, the 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 whatever the processes. Maybe I need to change uh, shop management systems or bring in uh, newer tools and equipment. I want to best enable my employees to be able to do their job as best they can, and hopefully better than anybody else anywhere near me. What what can I do to help them achieve that? So never being content, never being content with how much value I can provide a client by choosing to bring their service needs to me. How can I best reward them? And maybe it's not the dollar signs at the bottom of the invoice, but in the, what they're getting and how they feel when they leave, like never, never be content, never stop that drive to, improve, expand, maybe size or capability or whatever. That, I mean, that just, that so resonated with me. And and that was something, you know, because we are talking a lot about Undertaker and he's the one that suggested it. Throughout his career, just the subtle changes in that character. Sometimes it was just changing colors a little bit. You know, so when he first started out as kind of very ah man maybe western style I don't even know about that but he almost like a Halloween costume really I suppose any of them would be now considered that but it was really like they found a black shirt and they cut the arm you know Mm -hmm. arms kind of zigzag and he had the makeup on to make him pale and his eyes kind of had some purplish things going on bluish to make him look kind of like a zombie if you will and then um, he got injured, he got his face pretty much broken, broke his cheekbone and orbital socket shattered. so his eyeball was sitting or not an eyeball the, the optic nerve was sitting on jagged bone and he kept <laughs> he kept rustling <laughs> right So they have to go in and reconstruct his uh, orbital socket with wire mesh uh, and then bone stuffed bone in there to regrow so yeah he's kind of a badass i mean there's really no way to around it so for a while he had that kind of the phantom of the opera mask and then there's a impersonator another undertaker if you will and then so you had one undertaker wearing like gray gloves and a gray mask and this other undertaker wearing purple gloves and a purple mask and the real one turns out to be the one wearing purple and it's his hair would always be down in his face and there'd be hardly any emotions. And over time, you get to see a little bit more of his face, a little bit more of emotions. And just, a lot of these changes are just subtle and trying to always stay ahead of the curve, start, always trying to stay ahead of what the crowd wanted, giving them something they didn't even know they wanted. That's what he did. And then feeling like this, the undertaker that we may know him as was kind of losing some of that energy turning it into the American badass where it's now more like himself as the biker guy. Yeah. For him, that's what that meant. Not being content, not being content to just do the same shtick over and over and over. Alter the character, stay at towards the top of the card. Got to the point, honestly, he didn't hold the titles as much as a lot of them did. You know, Flair had it so many times. Cena had it so many times. Austin had it for a long time. Roman Reigns right now has had it for, geez, over a year. I think that's like Hulk Hogan type time frames. Uh, Taker, it seemed like transcended the title. He did not need the title to give him any more um, importance or popularity. He was still, like a main event performer without the title, like his matches at WrestleMania oftentimes were the main event, even if they weren't at the main event but, or in the position of the main event. The guys that had to follow
0: him as the main event a lot of times hated him for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know something I don't think he talked about enough, and obviously he wouldn't. That's not his personality, but he put a lot of guys over. You know, he yes. put that ego in check and helped helped create careers and put people over. I mean, look, he stopped his streak for Lesnar. You know? yeah. um, but he put people over. And I don't think that's talked about enough. Like, he knew himself and he knew the brand he built well enough to know that it was okay to build everybody else up around him. Yep. That, I think that is the one thing nobody talks about enough about. Th- about Mark, Mark the person yep. because you know a lot of that goes on behind the scenes. and it, it just amazes you when you think about you know over a 30 year career, 30 plus years. how many guys did he put over? How many careers do we have to thank because of taker? Um, I think Shawn Michaels would be a big one. Yep. you know those are some of the best matches ever where taker is Shawn Michaels.
1: even if taker won, he did it in such a way that he made them look so very good. Yes. Like they, they just made them look like they were a force to reckon with. He just, he beat them, but by the skin of his teeth and made them look, you know, so good. And I think there's quite, like you said, there's quite a few of them. Uh, A lot of instances of that, a lot of examples of him doing that where Yeah. Okay. He did win, but he kept selling it afterwards. Like he got the pin, but he was the one that got carried out of the ring. You know, he, the loser walked out. Taker got carted out. That, I mean, that just, it's hints like that, that wow. Yeah. Take just barely beat him, but boy, oh boy, that, you know, name the character, name the, the wrestler. They're, they're going to be a force to contend with. And that, you know, I was going to bring up, uh, to kind of round this out an interview I was just watching with, um, Randy Orton and he's been a, he's been a veteran now, you know, God, he's been around for a long time, like kind of in the middle of the attitude era. Yep. He's kind of now a locker room leader just by sheer experience and age and now, and, and now personality. And he was talking about how he was really kind of losing his enthusiasm for what he did. It was starting to become stale. Was starting to get stock. Just wasn't enjoying himself the way he used to. And then he gets teamed up with, and I thought, a ridiculous combination. Ridiculous. Matt Riddle. And, Matt, of course, he's a performer. He has a background in uh, MMA. I think he's got a couple victories under his belt in the UFC. Turned out that wasn't where his passion was. Goes through the process of WWE through their training with NXT. Gets called up to the main roster. And he does all right. Now he's teamed up with Randy Orton. He's young and he's dumb. Meaning like inexperienced. Right. And now they're riding together, you know, because they're tag team, teammates, if you will. And they ride together uh, and travel together. And in the back, of course, in the locker room, talk, talk, talk. And that has kind of reinvigorated Randy Orton. And that, I was kind of thinking about that. Like, there's a lot of auto repair tech veterans. You know, you're kind of getting into that last whatever uh, the twilight of a career and and I don't know what that means is it five years ten years I don't know but you're starting to get tired and it's not so much like physical a lot of it's mental you've been doing this for 30 years 40 years busting your butt you know trying to crank out those hours got another motor to pull timing change to do on a three six you know and yeah you know what you're doing you can bang them out but uh, and then we, I don't think we get the same energy we could from the young guy. And I don't mean guy. I got to, I, I want to be careful. I always say that the young person, the young tech, he or she comes in. They don't know anything. Yeah, they got the diploma, they got a degree. They don't know anything. But man, they're happy to be there. Man, they're excited to be working on cars. Like I'm finally adulting <laughs> and we roll i think we tend to roll our eyes and shake our heads like oh my god just shut up turn the radio up no we're not listening to country no we're not listening to pop either right? and just <laughs> you get to, <laughs> but i think if we could i think if we could take a little bit from some of these professional wrestlers and Can we feed off of some of that enthusiasm and can that kind of re-energize us a little like, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know anything. They're they're terribly green, really, really wet behind the ears. They're going to make every mistake in the book. Let them. Remember when you made those mistakes and can you bring them up? Can you mentor them and feed off that enthusiasm a little bit? You know, maybe you're not excited because you know tomorrow I got to pull a tranny on a four wheel drive, whatever, and it sucks. But you know what, Junior is going to be there, (laughs) and he or she, you know, I'm going to watch them flounder on something, and then I'll help them out, and just maybe take some. Oh, I don't know. Uh, appreciate watching that growth maybe take some of that energy for yourself and maybe when you do roll your eyes and shake your head kind of add a grin you know what I mean it just seems like we just sometimes we're (laughs) a little overly grizzled maybe I I don't know and don't get me wrong it's easier said than done because I'm as bad as anybody about rolling my eyes and shaking my
0: head like yeah. I don't know if you could fix a sandwich. I kind of want to add a little to that. So I've been on both sides of this. Um, 2018, I did my first super Saturday event and I remember leading up to it um, at the time to kind of like preface this a little bit. I was a dealership tech. Um, I was a diesel and transmission specialist for a, you know, general motors dealer. So, you know, it, it Day in and day, day in and day out, you know six L's on the bench. You know I was doing a ton of head caskets on Duramaxes at the time. I, I kind of got to give a little bit of a shout out to to Brandon Steckler here for a minute because I'll be honest, I was ready is he to like a tech or something, something like that. You may have heard of him a time or two, short little fellow. Uh, but I was ready to throw the towel in, and and this isn't me blowing smoke. This is this is kind of crazy how this all. 2018 2019 was like the, the couple of years I choose to forget, but yet love at the same time. But I was ready to throw throw the towel in. I was kind of burnt out. You know, I've been working at a dealership. We had just had my daughter. I was burnt out. I started looking at other career paths. You know, around here we have the steel mills and we have BP Amoco. So there's definitely you know, guy with my skill set could pretty much fall anywhere I want, making more money even. Um, and Brandon was getting on the Facebook groups at the time doing the live um, case studies. I don't know if you ever got in on any of those, but for me that reignited my love for doing this, you know, to, to kind of back it up a little bit further. I've been, I've been going to classes since I was six years old. My grandfather was a shade tree and he became friends with Ken Sanders, and I would go to Hinsdale And take notes for grandpa because grandpa couldn't read his own handwriting. Okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool stories. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, so I was ready to quit and Brandon did, did that, you know, and that really reignited to where I was like, I want to do what he's doing. Um, Fast forward to 2022, you know, I'm a diagnostician in a shop. I don't, I don't do timing chains. I don't, I don't get dirty 90% of the time now. Um, Diagnose it and shove it off to all the other guys. But in the interim, I was teaching. You know, I taught at a high school for about two years. What that did for me, I cannot put into words. You know, like we were just talking about Taker putting everybody over. Cool story. One of my one of my brighter students is actually working for us now and is the manager of our Quick Lube at the shop. Um, so it's been really cool to watch Ken grow. Um, is he going to be on the technician side? I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what his his ambitions are but to watch him mature from high school to the young man he's become man that's I, I can't put into words what that's done for me and then you know with with us having a quick lube attached we promote up we promote up um we got two young kids that were working the oil change side and you know it's really cool because they come and ask me all the time ask me questions and it's it, it, being able to pay that forward now it, it, it's a different it's a different feeling at this stage in my career, you know, I've been doing this almost 20 years now, no, 20 years, 20 years now. Um, So I I think it's still early in my career, but you get to witness this now. I get to see myself, you know, the uh, dumb kid um, and I'm teaching them, you know, and it's, it's awesome. You know, it's like I said, it kind of, kind of the unsung thing we don't talk about, about taker putting people over. I kind of, that's, that's my end goal now is to plant that seed and watch it grow. So that's really cool, you know, to be on the receiving end of that. Like I said, I owe a lot to where I am today, to Brandon, like I said, if you ever heard of him. Um, and and uh, I
1: feel like I should have. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been around. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and there's obviously there's been others in my career too, but, but Brandon really stuck out. You know, he was the whole reason I went out to Philly that year to watch his uh, – that was the inception of the pressure – Class his pressure analysis class, and that's what for me that that just made me dig in deeper and deeper. And I still feel like a pretty big dumbass ninety percent of the time, but my career wouldn't be what it is today um, if it weren't for guys like him. You know, so I I just want to put people over to far succeed anything I could do. You know, whether it's even if it's my own kids, but watching watching what I'm able to see every day. Like I said, I got my former student there. Watching him mature as a human and grow as a manager has been like mind-boggling to me. It's just about putting people over, you know, Uh, helping helping the next, helping everybody come up. and And I think if more guys did it, you know, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, I've just been in a really, I've been blessed in putting some really good opportunities. Um, But I think if more guys did this, um, I think we would have a better a better trade. You know, I don't think we would have the guys bitching and moaning, yelling at the kids about being dumbasses, we wouldn't have that. Because like you said, I think, I think we forget, we forget where we came from. Um, I know I did and teaching high school really, that one that would really helped me a lot, you know, and that can go two ways. So
1: I think sometimes what I do is I forget where I came from and it's not so much like, Hey, I started out at that spot too. I grew up in a way, way, way different environment than they did. You know, I grew up on a farm, I grew up around a farm implement dealer, critical thinking, mechanical, whatever was, I mean, that was always there. And now being hypercritical of somebody that the extent of their um, mechanical aptitude is they could change the batteries and the TV remote. You know what I mean? That sounds maybe really condescending, but I don't mean it condescending, it's reality. That's where they're coming from, and I have to remember that. I forget that far too often, far too often.
0: So to add to that, real fast before before I lose it here, here's here's what I tell everybody because you know my sons are uh, they're fifteen and sixteen now, so I, I'm going to pick on them a little bit. But I I've never made them do anything mechanical on purpose because I figured if they wanted to, they knew where to find me. But when I think about like all those high school students, right? You're right. The, the nuts and bolts is not there. But what is there? We are quick to judge this younger generation as being lazy. But what we forget, and, and you know, and my generation falls into this too, forgetting about it. These are some of the best connected kids you have ever seen in your life. What we need to find is that happy, that happy medium of let's show the kids where the information's at and let them run with it. And, and I think if we can find a way of doing that better, you know, showing them what this career can be, you know, because I, I think a lot of people thumb their nose at the, the the perspective of being dirty all the time. Right. Like we're still everybody still thinks that's that's what we are. In reality, I could wear a lab coat most days and never get a speck of dust on me. You know, I, I'm sure you're in the same situation over there at times. We need to show these kids that, you know, I I want those kids that are into IT. I want those kids that can't put their cell phone down because my scan tool is a little bit cooler than your cell phone at times. Um, You know, the, the lab scope can do some pretty amazing things. And these kids are critical thinkers. They might not be able to mechanically do the same things you and I did. Because even my generation, it kind of it, it started changing. I was just blessed. My dad's a hand hands-on guy, and obviously my grandfather was too, and you know my uncles that were around. So I I was blessed, but a lot of these kids weren't. Um, even individuals my age. So we need to we need to remember that, you know. So find a way, you know, that apprentice in the shop. Maybe maybe he's not cut out to do breaks, but maybe he apprentices underneath you as the next diagnostician. You know, there, there, there's so many. So many caveats to that, that I think we just, it's easy for all of us as adults to put blinders on and get tunnel vision. You know, it, it, again, I, I just kicked my soapbox out. I'll stop now. But it, it, I, I, think, I think we can do a better job. I think, um, I think this younger generation has the potential of making us look absolutely tiny, tiny. If we let them, but we can't keep telling them they're stupid or they're lazy. We've, we've got to find a way to bring them in a little bit better. So, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, the ability's there. We just got to find a way to fine tune it a little bit. I would, I tend to agree uh, on a lot of those accounts. First, Brandon
1: Steckler is a really good friend. I think a lot of his passion got reignited by Jim Morton. Absolutely. Uh, that's a very similar story i've heard from many 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 techs uh con- with john thornton they're kind of ready to hang it up they end up in a thornton class and all of a sudden this pandora's box opens up like oh
0: man oh man i feel stupidly pissed like john is just at another level and you know i, I know you're 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 kind of with me you get to see john quite a bit before covid you know i've been going to john's classes for the better part of 20 years um, not to sidetrack. it. I feel more dumb every time I leave a John class, <laughs> and that's that's not a that's not a shot at JT. I absolutely adore the man. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know, and you don't realize how much you don't know until you sit with JT. So <laughs> I'll stop there. Let's keep going.
1: No, and but and then another big one I think is Paul Danner. Oh God, yes, he has inspired so many people technicians uh, and a lot of it is because he's so honest I mean he's just you get to see the mistakes which is huge it's huge it just brings him he's so human you know it just brings this human element uh, unlike most I've ever seen and then uh, like you're saying the, the, the newer generation you know one thing is the diagnostic stuff gets really romanticized. Yes, yes. But we really need, God, we need people that can take it, you know, hang and bang. We really do.
0: Yeah, we, we lose sight of those guys. And, you know, I think, I think like you said, we, we get, especially, like, people listening to these podcasts, you know, a lot of them are fellow diagnosticians. I, I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for the guys slamming brakes, hanging transmissions. Exactly. And, you know, and that is a different type of skill set that... I choose not to do anymore just just for my own reasons because I got burnt out with it. But that takes that God, that takes so much skill and that we do not talk about that enough.
1: I'm I am genuinely jealous because I've got a tech at work, man. He can do God, he can turn out work. I just I, I just can't do it. I don't know how he does it. Same. It doesn't look like he's moving that fast. But man, man, I just so jealous. And, and then we make a good team because he thinks I'm r- ridiculous in what I like to do, and I think he's ridiculous in what he likes to do, and it's it's perfect. It's great. Um, but I was going to say about the younger generation too; they do have uh, critical thinking skills. It's just they got to. I think maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like we we have to enable them a little bit to give them enough confidence to trust. Using their critical thinking skills because maybe it's not figuring out how something's not working, you know, whatever it may be. The te- the television, the, the, the toaster, the car, the lawnmower, the bike's not shifting right, but maybe video games like they can figure out whatever secrets to Elden Ring and they know how to rip through that game in a few hours where I'll be stuck playing a stupid thing for about 200 hours. Some of that translates that deductive reasoning translates to what we do. You you need a little knowledge. You're going to have to learn how these work, but that skill set to figure out what you need to do to solve this puzzle on a video game is not unlike solving the puzzle of why is this engine knocking? Why is this drivability concern? Why is this, warning light on whatever it is why does this thing grind when i take turn right turns and not left once you understand some how these things work the skills you use to figure out how to get past this enemy in this game is not unlike the reasoning that you're going to use to figure out the issue with this car and i I don't think sometimes we give them that confidence like "Hey, hey I. You you already do probably have the skill set, you know, in there. You just need to plug in some information. Like, you know a lot about what to do in this video game or board game even. You just don't know uh, enough of the bits and pieces of this puzzle just yet. But I'll help you fill those in. And then take that same thought process and put it towards this. It'll probably work. And then you refine it, right? Because the same same thought process to beat God of War is not the same as what you're going to use to beat Final Fantasy VII.
0: You know, and I, I think, you know, kind of, kind of stepping back a little bit, when you were a child and when I was a kid, when stuff was broke, we tried fixing it, right? Think of the stuff that's out there today, right? Like I remember my dad telling me he took apart the washer and dryer when he was a kid. Are you going to do that on today's? I, did. <laughs> I, mean, I would. I would. I'm <laughs> stupid like that. But think about that. Like we live in a throwaway society for one. Yeah. And some of this stuff is so intricate. The kids, they're going to start taking apart and they got boards and wires. And I, I think everything has just changed so much. And we don't, we don't even talk about that enough. You know, this isn't. This isn't like, you know, growing up in the 80s and being able to go buy a 70s muscle car or whatever, 70s pickup truck and dad can work on it with you and teach you some of those skills. If I didn't do what I do for a living, I couldn't go buy a car and teach my kids how to do any of this. So I think I think sometimes we forget about that, too. Like times have changed, but the products that we're dealing with have changed. We as society have changed. Like we don't give them the opportunity to do a lot of the stuff we used to do either. And I, I think we lose sight of that at times, you know? Um, I know if I caught my kid trying to take apart my $1,000 washing machine, I'd probably kill him right about now, you know? So it's just, it's just stuff like that. Like, I, I just think sometimes we become so narrow, narrow sided that we forget like we evolved as people, right? As we grown up, but we forget that everything around us has evolved too. The products, hell, even the bicycles—you can't buy parts half the time, you know. And, and I think we yeah. lose sight of that for the young, the younger generation. So I, I think, you know, for anybody listening, that's something you need to think about too. You know, it's some of it's a society thing, some of it's the products that we have. Um, you know and a lot of it unfortunately you know as a former educator i can speak on there's not a lot of male influence in the household at least around here you know uh, there's a lot of single mom households and that that adds to it and that's the kind of stuff like we get very short sighted and i know i i fall into this too i get very ignorant i just think everybody has the same upbringing my 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 children do you know that we're all around we're all together all the time and we forget about that and we forget that some of these social skills that you would learn and and this is not a cut low at the ladies out listening so please i hope any ladies listening don't take it that way but you know this is a very male dominated trade and some of these young men we're not we're not teaching them some of the skills that we learn because dad's absent you know, and I, I think there's so much that goes into it and we forget about it. So as a as a mentor, we need to keep that in the back of our minds. And I think if we can remember that and, and add a little humility to it and you know, um I don't know if you know Russ Ferguson from Consul Labs, but I had I had dinner with him a couple of years back. I remember him him and Tim Dwyer giving me some awesome advice and something that has resonated for years now. You're not just their educator. You might be their father figure, their friend. You you are so much more than what you're portraying as being a mentor. Don't ever lose sight of that. I'm kind of paraphrase it there because Russ is way more eloquently spoken than I am. But I, I think you catch the gist there. Yeah, definitely.
1: I I don't know what generation it started, probably in mine. Um, a lot of the men, even if they were around, they didn't have the skills either. Because like you said, and I know I've mentioned this probably more than uh, probably three times now or more. It'll be more now. The bicycle brakes. Mom and dad don't know how to fix it. The neighbor doesn't know how to fix it. So they cart it down to the bike shop. They only work on high-end bicycles because they're the only things worth fixing because they're going to come out, they're going to look at it and say, well, I have to do this. How much is that going to cost? $200. I can buy two of these for $200 at Walmart. That's what I have to charge. So the bike goes in the dumpster, walk, run down the Walmart and buy a new bike. Done. Nobody learned nothing. Nobody learned anything. And same with the lawnmowers. Like a lot of the lawnmowers doesn't start. You go on YouTube, put a spark plug in it. Maybe doesn't start. Call up the repair shop. How much to fix my push mower? I mean, it's going to be a hundred bucks to look at it. Dude, I paid $80 for it. Exactly. A hundred dollars to look at it in the dumpster. It goes, go down, buy the brand new mower. And like you said, it's just, it's a throwaway society. And there's never that chance to show them how to fix anything, you know? And, you know, maybe some of the YouTube videos help with that. Maybe that's, maybe that's one way to start looking at them in a positive light is if you're going to stay home and, You know, it does irk me a little bit that you're kind of taking money out of somebody's pocket, but maybe the long-term effect is net positive. I don't know. I'm going to wrestle with that a little bit, (laughs) but maybe you do end up taking the $1,000 wash machine apart because the belt broke or one of the pulleys uh, is grinding and you can get the pulleys for cheap, you know, and the belt and attention and all that, they're cheap. You got to take it apart. And to have somebody come and do it, and they deserve the money, don't get me wrong, but it gets to be where it kind of prices out the reasonability of fixing it versus buying the new one, where now if you have some of the tools, you got your YouTube video, and you take that apart, and the kid's right there with you, holding the nuts and bolts, maybe taking some of the stuff out themselves, and, you know, this is a weird-looking socket, what is that? Oh, that's a Torx, or I don't know, let's look it up, you know, maybe you don't know, right? that at least you get all done with it. You better appreciate why the, you know, Maytag person needs $300 to fix it. And next time you bring your car into the shop and they want $500 to do front brakes, you're kind of like, that sounds very reasonable to me. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I tried to fix my washing machine and I ended up buying a new one anyways (laughs) because I got it all apart and I had my YouTube video and I got it back (laughs) together and, it never worked right since it was louder than when we took it
0: apart. Wait till that Tesla's all apart next. <laughs> <laughs> we got to rewind the motor. <laughs> oh man, it's coming! You know it's coming. <laughs> oh yeah! Wow, man, it's been an hour. I know. Oh, this was awesome. Where did it go? But before we before we go though, I I gotta ask you know because this was this was wrestling. What was your dream match that you never saw with Taker? Oh wow!
1: Part of it would have been part of it would have been Taker in his prime versus like a prime Roman Reigns, but Wow. I, you know, yes, sting.
0: Sting. Yeah, Sting. That would have been great. great. I Sting, like right before Crow Sting for me when he was still surfer dude, Sting. That would have been... Uh, that would have been great.
1: I, You know what it is? You know what it is? A much, much better put together match with a build up and everything. Bray Wyatt, whether he oh, was The yes. Fiend or, or Bray Wyatt with the Wyatt family, a better build up to like a WrestleMania or something, SummerSlam, a big event pay per view with those two, with a match that kind of went some distance. They had a WrestleMania match. I think their entrances might have lasted longer than the yeah. actual match. I would have liked to have seen something with a really good build up, a lot of that dark. You know, magic, if you will, or um,
0: underworld type stuff, and do it the way he did it with styles. Something in that type of,
1: yeah, graveyard match with Bray
0: Wyatt. Oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, that that's my dream match. You did it right there. Yeah, for for me, you know, like I said said a minute ago, I was Taker and Sting. Uh, sting is just Sting's on a whole nother level. I could do a podcast with you all day on just Sting. Um, that would have been it, you know. You're talking about two loyal guys. I mean, Phenom versus uh, what did what did they call Sting? Franchise, right? Something along those yeah, lines. the franchise. Franchise. You know, that would have been. Oh my god, that would have been awesome. Back way back when. Now those guys, I, I just let it die. I don't. I don't need to see it though.
1: Stinger's doing pretty decent at AEW. Like you know, they're. I think they're playing it right, and he's getting to do what he wants, which is like you said earlier which I think is a really good way to kind of wind this down is he's there to put over young talent and to be that mentor in the back, to sit there and behind the curtain, they call it gorilla position, which is uh, in honor of a commentator and wrestler named gorilla monsoon. So they call that the gorilla position and he likes to sit back there, watch the matches. And as they come back through the curtain, give them some critiques like positive, negative, negative, hey, you know, this point of the match, why did you do this? Have you ever thought about this? And just, like you said, just that rising tide again. We're talking about the rising tide, lifting all boats. Yep. And that's exactly what he's doing. He, exactly what Taker did. Taker probably is doing. I think you might find out he's at the training center working with Shawn Michaels. I, bet. I, I just have a feeling that will happen. He'll be in
0: there working with the big guys. Could you imagine being yeah. trained by those guys? And then you know Triple H behind the scenes. Yep. Love him or hate him.
1: I like him now as what he does now more than I did as a wrestler. Like, I never thought he was the king of kings. I thought he was hilarious in DX, but I just never really got into him as like champion and all that. No, he didn't sell it well. What he's doing with NXT, what he does with the talent, man, I just, he's the guy. He's the guy. I, I hope he gets his health stuff taken care of and. I would not hurt my feelings one bit if he and Steph kind of take over WWE and would not hurt my feelings one bit. That would be great. That'd be that'd be some
0: much needed change that needs to
1: happen here soon. Andrew Fisher, thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. I hope I can have you on again. Oh, that was Sounds awesome. Sounds like we still have a lot to talk about.
0: I could go for hours, Matt. Thanks for having me. This was a, this was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing doing more of these with you
1: yeah oh man this is great thank you everyone for listening i really do appreciate it remember you can reach out to me on facebook uh give a like to the podcast you can watch this on youtube or listen to it at least on youtube give it a like if you really like it subscribe you can click the bell i think and even get a alert when the next episode comes out andrew till we get a chance to talk again all right Matt. thank you i appreciate it Yeah, thank you,
0: sir. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.